Welcome. Hello. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about something that has always confused me and I've always found extremely strange. Okay. So not psychedelic drugs. No, no. We stand psychedelics. Um, <laughs> and I am I hope that this is not another area where I bring in a topic and you're like, yeah, I did that. Oh, God. I don't think it is. I know. Ellie has been exhuming all my past, like, the skeletons in my closet, just toting them out one by one. Yeah. I, I don't think this is something that you did growing up. All right. But if it is, I'm excited <laughs> to hear your insight. Okay. You're not judging? <laughs> no. Okay. Child beauty pageants. No, I did not. Oh, my okay. God. No, I didn't. Okay. okay. Cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what, what? what's your <laughs> opinion or initial feeling towards these contests? Yeah, I feel like the only baseline familiarity I have with child beauty pageants is um this like TLC show that was on TV when I was growing up in the states i don't know if it would like toddlers and tiaras toddlers and tiaras yeah it's a great name honestly it's a great name (laughs) love and alliteration did you watch it i like in my mind i feel like i must have but i don't really have any memory of any specific episode or any specific child contestant but i remember there were definitely a lot of pageant mom references where they would like stand in the crowd and like coach their girls through a dance routine or something like that and I remember also knowing that like these girls were wearing fake teeth fake hair they were spray tanned and they're doing it from a really young age like an age before they have any real way to push back on their parent just with like that yeah extreme of a power imbalance like you can't exercise real agency and being like I don't even know what this is I don't even know if I want to do it Mm -hmm. like it's not really a decision it seems like the kids were making and Mm -hmm. it seemed also like people were in it for cash prizes like Mm -hmm. that's really what it was for I don't Mm -hmm. know but that's Mm -hmm. like uh, that's all I really remember I don't remember any like specific you don't remember honey boo boo oh honey boo boo (laughs) I think she was a child I think she was like past past the age at which I must have been watching this show. But yeah, I do remember a lot of Honey Boo Boo gifts going around. I like never saw an episode with her though, or like never yeah. saw her compete or whatever. Yeah, I knew about child pageants kind of peripherally. And then Little Miss Sunshine when it came out. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you ever saw that movie, but the main girl's like going to a pageant. Yes, Abigail Breslin's character. Yeah. And then in high school, I saw like the Honey Boo Boo clip that went viral. And that's when I found out about Toddlers and Tiaras. And I was like, oh, my God, this kid. Like, Oh, my God. <laughs> what's happening? I, <laughs> I remember also there is like a scene in an episode of Friends where Emma, Rachel and Ross's yes. daughter. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Is like signed up basically by phoebe right for thanksgiving day pageant at the age of like a zero (laughs) and they come home with a cash prize or something and a big old trophy big trophy yeah there are definitely like references to child pageantry like in the media Mm -hmm. throughout my entire childhood but i never i don't know came in super close contact with it okay cool so i guess there's like pageants overall okay like adult women miss america miss Mm. universe miss each state or whatever miss universe oh my god (laughs) which is kind of bold to say because i must agree (laughs) like there is intelligent life somewhere out in the universe and they have not (laughs) been able to fairly compete in our miss universe pageants yeah like let's keep it earthbound yeah (laughs) (laughs) right and so when i was trying to figure out i was like okay i need to know when did this start what's the deal with like the history of pageants Mm -hmm. and there are kind of like examples throughout history 
long time ago of weird different events where women mm-hmm. were sort of paraded around or in like competitions and stuff. But did you ever see The Greatest Showman? Yes. That movie with Zac Efron and Hugh Jackman. Yeah, I have like so much beef with that movie. I don't I don't I don't mean to like be controversial and this is like a topic for another day, but I think it's like really irresponsible fictionalization and like whitewashing of history when P.T. Barnum just like profited off of turning people with disabilities into freak shows. I think it's disgusting. I the movie rocks, Zac Efron's hot, Zendaya's hot, Hugh Jackman didn't know you could sing. I guess I didn't see Les Mis, but like that was fun. Love the soundtrack. Listen to it during work. But the movie, like such irresponsible fictionalization of what erased a lot of people's identities. Um, Anyway, that's probably a different story for another day. No, but totally fair because (laughs) P.T. Barnum was the guy that organized the first beauty pageant. Great. For adult women. Great. In the U.S. So he just, <laughs> what I'm hearing is he likes profiting off of marginalized, vulnerable communities. Yeah. Cool. And people were not feeling it. People were like, this is immoral. Oh, okay. <laughs> but like putting people with disabilities on display, totally cool. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know, man. I mean, I think he did get, I didn't know anything about P.T. Barnum until I watched The Greatest Showman. Mm-hmm. So I thought he did get a little bit of pushback, but maybe not. But I just know that people were not really feeling the whole... The first beauty pageant concept was like a little bit more of like a parade. I and see. I think people were like, this is weird. Like, why are you I parading see. women? And what, what year would this have been? Is this in the 19th century, 20th? 1854. Okay. And then in 1855, he ran a national contest called the National Baby Show, attracting tens of thousands of viewers and making like a quote baby parade and that was a national sensation. So I don't really get what the like moral compass was at this time. Like yeah, <laughs> we're okay with making people into a freak show. We're not so okay with women being paraded. Babies? I like that. Like <laughs> what's happening? Honestly, like trying to jump into the minds of like audiences in the 1850s, there's no way we're going to understand their morals. Yeah. Honestly, super unrelatable (laughs) (laughs) oh man okay yeah so baby's cool baby's cool yeah and then more like officially the development of beauty pageants a little bit more how we see them now in which like women competed based on physical attractiveness started in atlantic city in the 20s at casinos Mm. as like an attraction (laughs) like as we gamble we're gonna have this entertainment of women competing on like who's hotter (laughs) so yes now we're like actually competing based on physical attractiveness they should be gambling on which women will win maybe they did i mean maybe they did play some bets you know (laughs) (laughs) and then like over the years bigger pageants like the miss america miss usa stuff were established and child pageants that kind of mimic that started in the 1960s wow okay so they've been around for a while yes yes and there's the physical appearance portion of your outfit and just how whatever conventionally beautiful you are as a child i don't know Mm -hmm. but then they're also judged on confidence and performance Mm -hmm. and like just like their general presence Mm -hmm. and they do different like events like dancing or singing or juggling or whatever special talent they have so that's kind of like the structure of the event okay let's have you walk out like a fashion show give us some poses Mm -hmm. smile wink like the whole thing okay do your dance and you win money 
grants, scholarships, trophies, all like financial things. And it's also pretty expensive to be a part of this. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't know what it was like in the 60s when it started. I'm sure they weren't yet wearing like baby dentures, <laughs> like getting oh airbrush spray tans in their bathtubs. But like, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And to also, I don't know if you ever watched Lizzie McGuire growing up, but there's this like iconic scene where the mean girl says to Lizzie, like, Lizzie McGuire, you are an outfit repeater. Yeah. So I don't know if there's like culture and beauty pageants where like once you wear a costume, bye. Oh. Like you might have custom sewn it, but that's it for like it's retired now. Totally. But like that's also expensive having a new outfit every time. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I read this really good. A lot of the info that I got about this was from this great research paper by Lindsay Lieberman and it just had like a bunch of great info on this and she was kind of outlining all these different costs like you have to pay to enter each contest Mm -hmm. which covers like the venue price and the awards and the trophies and the administrative costs and all that stuff but then you have the professional hairstylist professional makeup Mm -hmm. artist fake wigs hair extensions manicures pedicures tanning as you mentioned expensive custom-made bikinis oh my god which is really gross (laughs) and gowns then you have the travel costs of like going town to town or city to city there are pageant coaches i was gonna say like they must be taking dance classes or like clarinet classes if that's their talent yeah well there's like the dance lessons and the singing lessons and the modeling and the pose coaching and then there's just in general pageant coaches like an sat tutor like how to game this oh my god and so you're paying for all of that and then some families go into debt at times like paying all these entry fees so then there's like this huge undue pressure on these little kids to make sure that their family isn't in debt right so like now they have to win exactly and there was this little girl eden wood who i think at the beginning of toddlers and tiaras was kind of like the face of it and when she was four at like the age of four she had won a bunch of pageants and her parents had spent more than $70,000 on her pageant career at the age of four years old. Oh my God. I know that's so much money. And she had won between like $25,000 and $30,000 in prizes, but has not received any of that money because of the high cost of like reinvestment in the pageant circuit. So when these kids win, their parents get the money. Like, I know they're minors, but like that, it, like, it, it, uh, yeah, it's just like so insidious that it doesn't go into some kind of like protected fund for the child to receive upon turning 18. Like, it's, yeah. it's so obviously a breeding ground for exploitation if the parents are going to get the prize money. And especially like, it's easy to hide behind like, my kid loves to do pageants. So any money we win, we just reinvest in her pageant life. So it's like, yeah, it's not even the parents getting the money. We're just going to keep spending money to keep entering our kid in contests, yeah. winning money, using that to enter the next contest. And the fact that they haven't really seen a cent of tens of thousands of dollars in prizes that a four year old has won because they're reinvesting it. It's like so wild. That's what's crazy, too. It's like this child can barely talk. How do you know they love it? Like, oh, Eden just loves competing. Like, yeah. How did you know that when she was one and two and three years old? Yeah, exactly. And I could also see how like quickly this not just reflects, but like reinforces like aesthetic and all other kinds of bias. If you're being judged on your appearance, it feels like that in the 60s probably prioritized different kinds of beauty than it would maybe now. But if you were to travel back in time to different like child beauty pageants of different decades, it would be like a little time capsule of what the beauty standard was. But then it's reinforcing that standard and it's 
I don't even know what talents people can display at these competitions, but it's like almost moralizing confidence and charisma mm-hmm. and like rhythm and mm-hmm. I don't know, like mm-hmm. appearances as well. It's just like turning a lot of things that are already like benefiting privileged people into prize winning attributes. It's very weird. Yeah. And very ableist too. Having these little kids right. dancing around and stuff like not every little kid can do that. I don't know. And I think that with the money thing, it's kind of like gambling. You have no assurance that your kid's going to win the next competition. Mm -hmm. So if you just spent all this money on entering your daughter in a beauty pageant and then she wins one and then you're like, oh, amazing. Well, we're just going to reinvest this into the next one, the bigger one, the next one, whatever. And then like if she loses, now what? Yeah, you're in the hole. Like going into debt for this is so wild to me and like I don't know how aware a kid might be of that but like the subliminal pressure that a parent might put on the kid they're definitely aware of that you know like whether it's coming from them wanting to like see their kid be a star or if it's like you need to win because we're in debt now like the kid is gonna feel that regardless of where it's coming from and then like I don't know how they build trusting relationships with their parents I know and I was gonna say I don't even really understand why I don't understand the motivation to enter your kid in a child pageant. Is it fame? Is it money? Like if you're going into debt, like what, why? Yeah, I don't even think it's money as much as it might be like in a culture that values beauty so much, the Mm -hmm. desire to like, like you were saying, moralize it and think that you are better than others because you have a more beautiful child Mm -hmm. that can compete against Mm -hmm. other kids and like maybe if you were a beauty queen as a kid you want your kid to do that and yeah you want them to learn how to be gorgeous and strut and whatever and like you think that those are valuable tools Mm -hmm. for little girls to learn early in life and then like hold on to that as they move forward and yeah I can't remember it exactly but there's that quote that's like the heaviest burden on a child is the unlived life of a parent yes something like that yes like I wonder if there's an element of that of like if there were parents that they themselves didn't feel confident in their bodies or didn't feel beautiful, maybe mm-hmm. there's a pressure of like, I want my kid to be a star, to be gorgeous, to be like all these things, you know? Have you read Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng? No. She also wrote Little Fires Everywhere, which was made oh, into like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched the show. A Hulu <laughs> miniseries or something. Well, Everything I Never Told You is so about that idea. Like the pressures that parents put on their kids... I cannot recommend it enough. I think I honestly liked it better than Little Fires Everywhere. But yeah, it touches on that idea. Yeah, I'm interested in the whole psychology of that. Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of like the stage mom thing, but it just feels very specific to like the, the way that their child looks. Right. And like theoretically, I think if you enter your child into some like theater and arts program, they're going to be a part of a community. Whereas it seems like from what I can tell, that's true. it's very isolating to be like a child beauty contestant. Like you're not on a team necessarily. Yeah. And it's very cutthroat in a way that like if you're going to the YMCA for the drama program three times a week, it's not so cutthroat. Like you're not really competing. You're just performing. And maybe it's cutthroat in the sense of like trying to get different parts. But if you're in like the ensemble, just dancing around singing, like you're making friends too. That's a good point. Like I do think that there's a ton of competition, but that's more in the, I guess, audition process. And once you've passed that threshold, right, there is an element of like, I need to work together in a community in order to put on a play or be in a choir or be in a dance troupe, whatever it might be. But this is like only individualistic and I'm always in competition with my peers. Mm-hmm. 
Oh my God. That sounds so stressful. <laughs> it sounds so stressful. <laughs> and it never ends. That's the thing is like, at least yeah. like after you audition, it's like, and now we put on a play together. Whereas with like a beauty pageant, it's like, and the next thing we do is more competing. <laughs> it's just so much. Exactly. And a part Ugh. of this that made me, I think the most uncomfortable is how sexualized the children are. Oh man. They're not in outfits that are age appropriate. And mm-hmm. they really play up the sexualization of things. Like they're not in like I was in like say, normal like, kid clothes, like smiling. There's like a very intense focus on sexuality, and like they wear revealing clothes, and they wear a lot of makeup, and they look like older women, adults. It's yeah. really weird. I, I was gonna say like earlier when you said custom bikinis. Yes, it's like those girls who are four years old or younger. Like they probably have not gone through puberty and don't have any sort of like visible secondary sex organ, right? Like you probably haven't grown breasts at the age of four. And yeah, absolutely not. Like so specifically highlighting body parts on them that like are not a thing are not a thing (laughs) are not a thing. It's just like that is so obviously made for older bodies and mature bodies because you're fucking four. Like you don't have boobs. Exactly. Exactly. And like being decorated like an adult the disassociation i feel like you would feel in your body as a kid mm-hmm. when you're dressing up like a beauty queen who's 22 or whatever and then also like the caked on makeup and the tanning it's so like when you look at the faces of these children it's like you can tell it's a kid but you're like it's like uncanny valley kind of like why oh god why am i seeing a child behind this mask that i only see adults wearing yeah like when they're literally wearing dentures kids don't have teeth kids lose their teeth kids have baby teeth kids have gaps in their teeth but they're wearing dentures to literally look like fucking adults they're called flippers (laughs) and they make these like i know i was like excuse me they make these custom little baby dentures of like veneers kind of because they you know you lose a tooth because you're five so when they smile it's so creepy because they have these perfect like adult oh, jaw oh. inside of a baby mouth. We're literally like refusing to honor like them in their current state existing in their body as like possibly worthy of winning the competition. It's like, no, no, no. You need these dentures. You need the spray tan. You need this yeah. bikini highlighting boobs you don't have. You need extra yeah. hair. No, it just really highlights how a woman's body is never doing it right. Mm-hmm. When you're young, you want to look older when you're older, you want to look younger. Like, there's no just the dignity of your own experience in the moment that it's happening. And that's just what your body is at that time. Mm-hmm. Even a four-year-old, or not even a four-year-old. There are kids that are, like, infants. Like, babies. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Like, these are just our flesh prisons <laughs> that we're existing in. Yeah. That bring us from, like, room to room, if they can. Yeah. You know, like, we're just sitting here existing in yeah. them. Like, why? I didn't ask for this either. Why? Okay. <laughs> Why are we moralizing like teeth, like literally turning it into like you win prizes and you did a good job if like you looked like an adult at the age of four and like walked around and acted like an adult at the age of four Mm -hmm. on a stage in front of like creepy adults who were scoring you. And they had they're encouraged to like flirt with the judges like (gasps) they strut and they wink. Sometimes they take off clothes, like take off their jacket or whatever. Like they are encouraged to be flirtatious as like oh that's so adorable like she's so precious and teaching little girls to act that way in order to get 
praise and like and then you're always having that like out of body experience where I don't know I just feel like then like you are in this constant state of self-policing yeah where you're like I am highly attuned to the emotions and like reactions of other people in every room that I walk into and I need to manipulate that in order for them to like Mm -hmm. me and I need to perform and I need to do x y like you're just that's exhausting that takes so much emotional and cognitive resources and if the lines are blurred that young like i i struggle right now i can't now do it with, now like, performing for <laughs> yeah i can't do it now like how crazy it must be and how hard to shake that must be as a habit if you started pageants before you could talk yeah and seeing every girl around you as your enemy in a very Ugh. like i know in general women struggle with that of like the scarcity mentality there are only a couple seats at the table one woman's success means I'm not going to be successful, like all that internalized crap. But this is like so explicit. If another girl wins, I literally cannot win. So like, <laughs> it, it's just a horrible little pressure cooker. And I kind of find it shocking that as much as we can see these very clear criticisms that this is popular and the popularity of child pageants, like in the early 1990s, it was mostly in southern states mm-hmm. and then it garnered a lot more national attention after the murder of John Bonet Ramsey. Oh. I don't know if you know anything about John Bonet. I I've heard a little bit, but remind me. This is just like a little bit of a tangent, but I felt like I had to include this. I need to know. So she was a very decorated pageant competitor. I think she had won at least like five mm-hmm. high profile competitions. She was six years old. December 26, like right after Christmas, 1996, Boulder, Colorado. Her mom, Patsy Ramsey, found a ransom note on their staircase inside their house asking for $118,000 for the safe return of their daughter. And it was a super weird letter. I just have the letter here because it's, it's just the weirdest thing. Like, oh my God. Oh my it God. starts with, listen carefully, exclamation point. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't be laughing. This is like horrible. Horrible. It's only funny because it's very, a lot of the weird speculation about this murder is that this letter does not resemble like normal ransom letters and it's very cartoonish. Yeah. It says, we are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We respect your business, but not the country that it serves. Like, why are you explaining who you are? Like, it's very <laughs> odd. And then like at this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed. And if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. And then it's just like all the instructions, whatever. And they say stuff like, we will know if you get the police involved, all this stuff. And they sign it SBTC or victory exclamation point SBTC. And we don't know what SBTC is. That's the foreign faction or whatever. And they have like these weird specific like percentages. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. Like interesting. <laughs> it's just so weird. That's so anyway. So weird. Wait, was this like a typical magazine clippings stitched together kind of ransom note or was it handwritten? No, like do you know what it, it looks like? It was handwritten. Mm. Part of the weird thing is that it was written with paper and pen found in the ramsey home so it was kind of like so somebody broke into your home while you and your husband and your other son were sleeping took paper and pen from your home wrote this letter kidnapped your daughter and like left the letter inside the house it it was just very odd because that's not usually how these kind of things happen right and john bonnet was found 
like less than eight hours later dead in the basement of the house <gasps> so also like you wrote this ransom letter and then you killed her in her home it's so yeah odd. that's <laughs> like sorry but you don't have a hundred percent chance of getting your daughter back because she's um actually already... deceased in your basement yeah it, it's just a very like eerie situation and she was found with duct tape over her mouth and the cord around her neck like very horrible and so so it was like concluded that she died of asphyxiation and they found like dna on her like male dna on her clothes but they couldn't match it to anybody in the database of dna that we had in the 90s and there were footprints in the basement two different sets of footprints okay and they also couldn't like match that to anyone so obviously the family was like the first suspect because it all felt super weird right and like contrived right and like almost such a bizarrely written letter that it feels like you have to have been trying to like be so bizarre syntactically in how you write it that you're hiding who you are like I feel like there are a lot of people who try yeah and in ransom letters like misspell things like I remember there was this one ransom letter that like would misspell the word can't like would, would spell it with a k but then it spells precious correctly it's like you're clearly just like trying to hide who you are this letter did the same thing like really like certain words, I think like business were misspelled, but then attache or something with like an <laughs> accent was like, like weird things like that as well. And yeah, so like people, people are like clearly maybe... trying to hide their identity. So yeah, I could see why if it's so obviously trying to obscure who the author is that like it, it maybe it is the family if it all took place in the house. I could see that line of thinking. Yeah. And, and so people thought like maybe one of the parents accidentally killed the kid and then they were like, we're just going to stage this weird situation. Oh. But ultimately, handwriting experts ruled out the dad and the brother. It was inconclusive if it was the same handwriting as the mother's. I don't know what that means. Me neither. But there was no sign of forced entry and there were no like footsteps in the snow outside, but there were footsteps in the house. And, and the like crime scene in general was like really compromise because people came over to the house like helping the family figure it out and it was the 90s and nobody knew what they were doing and so it was just like (laughs) a super weird thing um so anyway that case made the pageants a little bit more of a national okay like people were talking about it more it wasn't so isolated to southern states now everyone's like interested in what happened to john benet ramsey this beautiful little girl okay and john benet ramsey so she wasn't targeted because she was a successful pageanter, right? Like, it just, was it a coincidence that she died? We don't know, because the other suspects are, like, uh. these really odd characters. Like, this man in the town that, like, dressed up as Santa and, like, came over mm. to the house the day before for Christmas and was, like, kind of obsessed with her. And, like, other people that were found with, like, pictures of her oh in like their jackets and stuff oh like people were a little obsessive about her but i don't know if the obsession became more of an obsession after she was killed mm. and it became this like prolific thing and you want to tie yourself to tragedy to like understand it right not entirely sure because we don't know who killed her so i don't know what the motivation was like was it her family right because they got mad at her or she didn't want to compete anymore or something like that or was it some random creep that came into her house like unclear because we don't know <laughs> yeah we don't know. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, big national conversation. And then um, Toddlers and Tiaras started in <laughs> 2009 to 2013 on TLC. And that's when you really see like the stage moms like trying to validate their child's beauty. And you see 
like the younger kids throwing temper tantrums because, you know, they don't want to wear a scratchy outfit anymore. And they've been standing for hours and they're done and they're three and like, leave me alone. I need some peanut butter. I would throw a (laughs) tantrum right now if someone told me I had to wear a scratchy outfit. Same. Same. I need leggings all day, every day. You cannot pay me enough money to wear scratchy sequins and like tight bikinis. No, thanks. Absolutely. Yeah. So you see like the little kids throwing these tantrums and then as they get a little older you see them just sort of like gazing at themselves in the mirror and admiring Mm. their beauty in the mirror when they're made up or when they're yeah when they're all dressed up just like oh my gosh here I am which like you know flex do you but the obsession with looking at themselves it just can't be good for you and you see them also kind of being like little baby divas and like yelling at people and showing really intense competition towards other girls and being like I need juice shit like that and the images of watching them get spray tanned and having these little kids like squinting their eyes like trying to keep their eyes closed and being like oh this is uncomfortable also like spray tan can have weird things you know that you're not supposed to ingest or get into any sort of orifice and I feel like if you're an adult you understand that you like go into a spray tan salon or something and you know to close your eyes and not to like lick your lips or something like I feel little kids are not as good at keeping their hands out of their mouth and like keeping their mouth closed and whatever. Like, I feel like it's much more likely that you might accidentally lightly poison your child because you're spraying them with something they should not put on their body. Right. I don't know. And then the flippers and fake eyelashes. It's all just very costumey. And then one thing that really freaked me out too was that each parent kind of has their different concoction of like sugary drinks that they give their kids before they go on stage to like get them energized. Oh my god. Oh my god. I'm just gonna send you a little video. A lot of pageant moms and people know what this special juice is. Everybody has their different concoctions. You know, special juice is just to help her energize her. A lot of moms say, oh, you're doping up your child. Well, <gasps> hey, no, I'm not. I'm not hurting her. We have tried the pixie sticks, as they call pageant crack. Did she say we pageant have, crack? We went through 15 bags at one, one pageant. <gasps> and they just don't do 15 bags of pixie sticks at one pageant? To give her that extra umph. So whatever works for your child, use it. So that's the, um, like the, I think Honey Boo Boo calls it like go-go juice or something like that. Okay. Um, <laughs> But, like, they all have their own different ways to energize their kid. Like, mixing Mountain Dew with some other caffeinated thing and adding sugar to it. And, obviously, these are, like, little baby bodies that get hopped up on sugar super easily. And then the mom's like, people say I'm doping my kid. But I'm not. She's fine. It's just, like, a soda or whatever. And I'm like, don't lie to me. Like, you're giving them a certain thing for a certain result. And that's the same dynamic as, like, taking steroids no functionally it's a performance enhancing substance yeah exactly so that's exactly what you're doing oh my god and it's just imagine the crash the sugar crash of these little kids after eating that much sugar the tummy you're like all this pressure you go out and dance and sing and whatever and you're also you're a kid so in general like you just get tired and then you crash from the sugar it just sounds horrible and it feels so different to me than like let's say like a long distance runner eating their like electrolyte goo at like mile six because they're like whether this is true or not like I've done the research and I feel like I need certain electrolytes after I've expended a certain amount of energy and this will help my muscles repair the micro tears as I like if you have some sort of physiological reason and you feel like you're taking care of your body in a sport where you feel like you're taking care of your body that feels very different than your parent 
funneling sugar and caffeine into you before a performance where yeah. money is on the line. It's just like it's so different. And like I, I exactly. think there is a space for using food and electrolytes and whatever else to your benefit to get through a run. Like I think there's a space for that. And then there's I think there's a space where you're a minor, someone's giving you sugar. You're obviously going to eat it because that's what your body wants at that age as you're growing. And you don't really have so much of a choice. And it's specifically for getting on stage and dancing yeah. well. Like, it's just so different. It's so different. It's also like the running thing is is taking care of your health. If you, mm-hmm. but like, if you go too low on, like, potassium right. because you're sweating and you don't replenish that, you're going to pass out right. and, like, potentially die. So right. it's not a matter <laughs> of, like, I'm going to run faster. It's like... I won't be able to run if I'm running for hours and I don't drink some water and maybe a Gatorade. Like it's, and if I don't eat carbohydrates, there's not going to be enough like glycogen storage in my muscles and I won't be able to move. Like that's just biology. And then yeah, it's that would be different than I'm going to take steroids to be able to build up more muscle than anybody else or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. like if the kids have a snack before going on stage, that makes sense. But like a balanced snack, not just pure sugar, like, (laughs) you know, an apple with some peanut peanut butter. butter. You know, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And then when they get off stage, they have another snack and some water, (laughs) not not just they have like funneling pixie sticks (laughs) into their body. Oh, my God. 15 bags of pixie sticks. Like, Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Yeah. It just feels like the cavities there. You're also (laughs) just not being honest with yourself. Like, it's different if you're like, you know what? I chug fucking pre-workout before I go to the gym because the caffeine in it makes me work out harder. And like, yeah, as an adult who has agency, who is self-aware, makes a decision knowing, you know what, maybe this is healthy, maybe it isn't, but I'm doing it with this specific end goal in mind. Yeah. That's very, again, it's still so different than like, you're a grown up. You're an adult. to your child. Yeah. Uh, like, like making a decision for yourself and being honest about it is different than someone being like, no, no, no. Yeah. This is above board. I'm just giving my four-year-old 15 bags of sugar. Ha ha ha. Like, exactly. That's fucking shady. There's a reason why kids don't drink alcohol or smoke cigarettes like or drink coffee like it's just Mm -hmm. a you can't consent to certain things and b like you just have a different body you're still growing things don't metabolize in the same way like and I also wonder and I'm not trying to be like the fear-mongering slippery slope devil's advocate here but I also wonder like I just worry about children's relationship with like food and substance if they grow up reliably every single time they have to perform and they have to execute something yeah turning to a substance like it, it's mm, yeah it, it, I don't know I don't know if that's making sense because again like I, I don't know anything I'm not a psychologist I'm not a doctor obviously but I just wonder about like if you're used to and have been almost like conditioned into like thinking you need a substance to perform like I wonder just like what your relationship will be like with test taking or other things as you grow up yeah, we're going to talk now about the risks. And before we do, I'm sending you another video. And just listen to how this kid is talking. Okay. I haven't started yet, but the hair extensions that are like configured into this updo cumulatively are so much bigger than her actual head. It's like, <laughs> I don't know how she's not falling over. I don't know how she's not. Okay, I'm starting now. Are you beautiful? Yes, I am beautiful. And you called me up. You said I was, you thought I was beautiful. I'm always beautiful. Who said what about that? You said, you said, are you beautiful? And I said, I'm, and I was almost going to say, 
she's she's thinking I'm not beautiful, and I am always beautiful. She's getting a little tired. She's getting a little frustrated. She's kind of got some little stimulation going on, and that's understandable. She needs time to breathe. She has to have herself mentally prepared to go on stage. We just want one minute, okay? Can we have one minute with her? Can we have one minute? Thank you. Back up. Back up. You too. Please back up. So what did we see? So we saw this young girl with flippers in it's so eerie like i can't even express how eerie it is to see someone who literally with her makeup hair and teeth looks like 15 like 20 to hear her voice come out in such a high register and such a perforated register because she's like not a proficient english speaker yet because she is so tiny and she looks 20 it's just like the dissonance of looking at her and hearing her in the first second of the video was already so shocking yeah but then it's what she's saying that is like the nail in the coffin yeah she's basically asked by i think her mother behind the camera like oh are you beautiful and she's in her full pageant attire right now and she's like yes i'm beautiful and then almost instantly starts unraveling and is like but i'm always beautiful and like you don't think i'm beautiful and then she yeah. runs away clearly doesn't want to be filmed like, why would you ask clearly, am i beautiful i am like yeah and the freak out the instant like that my the, world is like, ending yeah like like her self-conception is clearly so fragile that like this Mm -hmm. one question is like wait a second like Mm -hmm. i'm always beautiful right like and and that need for external validation or i guess like the perceived absence of it being so core shaking Mm -hmm. to the point of having a tantrum and running away Mm -hmm. and like needing space and she's like crying and like freaking out and and running away from the camera people and they're like following her and she's like get away from me leave me alone Mm -hmm. sure from the outside we can be like she's having a tantrum but it's odd to me to see this little kid like almost trying to establish a boundary like Mm -hmm. leave me alone please get away from me and running Mm -hmm. in distress and like the image of her running and like thinking of somebody with a camera an adult chasing this child as they're saying stay away from me is so heartbreaking it's so disturbing and then having the parents kind of come in and act like they're totally good guys and looking at the camera people like can can we have a second she needs to breathe Mm -hmm. but the like one-on-one interview with the mom is like she just needs to breathe so that she can get stage ready and blah blah i'm like you realize you're all like two sides of the same coin like you're all trying to pressure this little kid to do this thing that's clearly overwhelming right like maybe you're respecting the boundary your daughter is setting of not wanting to be filmed and are helping advocate for her in that way. But then if she says to you, you know what? Not today. I don't want to go on today. Are the parents going to respect that boundary? Probably not. They're going to say, no, you just you just need to take a few deep breaths and you need yeah. to get on stage. Yeah. You just need to breathe. You just need to breathe. It's like, I'm five. Leave me alone. So I don't know. I found that video really heartbreaking. Yeah. And when you hear parents saying, well, this builds confidence and this teaches kids how to present themselves well. And you foster skills and special hobbies and it's all in good fun and we're not hurting anyone. I'm like, is this really building confidence? Because the second that this child had to spend one second thinking maybe I'm not beautiful or maybe somebody thinks I'm not beautiful, hurt hurt was like so devastating in such an immediate and like visceral way that I don't I don't know if that's really building confidence. Right. 
when you're only feeling beautiful when you've taken eight hours to get ready, it's like, how do you feel the rest of the time? Yeah. Then as a six year old without teeth. (laughs) Yeah. 10 pounds of hair. Like, how do you feel then? Yeah. And there's a lot of basically I was curious about, um, you know, what what do child psychologists think about this? And Mm. it's basically across the board, extremely unhealthy for kids to do this because it's a lot of premature stress. You should not be experiencing this level of stress as a child. You should not. And a lot of body dysmorphia because they Mm -hmm. not only have to worry about the way their body looks in terms of being beautiful and comparing yourself, but also dysmorphia to another level where you're dressing as an adult when you don't have an adult body like what you were saying about the bikini Mm -hmm. and so the trauma of puberty when you like have been this like little adorable kid Mm -hmm. dressing like a grown-up and then as you actually become a grown-up having a little less control over how your body looks and you're not just this like little kid with no real shape and like what if I can't control the way I look the way that I have when I was a little girl and like mm-hmm. kids I mean I don't know I feel like kids are just on average cute and then like you grow up and your right. face changes or whatever <laughs> and like not everyone in the world is super cute and like maybe you were a really cute kid and then you grow up and you don't look as cute as you used to or whatever it is like that experience can be so detrimental for kids because they were thinking about their bodies in an adult way too early and then when they finally get those adult bodies they're like well this doesn't look like the bikini I wore when I was four so right and I haven't I haven't like grown into the image that's been projected on me for my entire conscious life yeah and I look different than what I expected to look like and then what I imagined looking like because I've been imagining that and putting that costume on for so long yeah that like that 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 could I don't know I can see that being like a real identity crisis exactly and and I mean there are studies about like things like Instagram not being good for your health because you shouldn't be thinking about the way you look so often it's not good for human beings to be like that constantly self aware mm-hmm. and when it's put on little kids it's like taxing on their actual development oh my god i know and and you and i talk about cortisol all the time yeah <laughs> our like motto is like recording this should not increase our cortisol levels no, so like exactly. if it's not going to happen one day it's not going to happen but the toll that cortisol could take on their little teeny bodies that are yeah. changing so fast and going through so much so often and like mm-hmm. you need to sleep to be able to grow like if they're not mm-hmm. sleeping because they're stressed like i think well, about up on sugar <laughs> right like literally their blood is like 10 percent blood 40 percent sugar and like the rest is cortisol like that yeah like horrifying. that's not good alchemy like i no. <laughs> and also the no it's like so the bad. long hours of practice and enduring criticism and failure in a public way a little kid learns by making mistakes right and you just like course correct and most of that happens on a playground or with your siblings or with your parents and it's like in an intimate setting when you make mistakes or fail and that's just part of life if you are experiencing criticism on the way you look and the way you behave and the way you perform in a public setting with strangers and in competition that's also super detrimental to your development and your mental health and also child psychologists suggest that competition at a young age inhibits children's ability to form positive healthy relationships with peers and i even think about other things that people might say well this is a competition too and this is a one-to-one competition too like tennis which Mm -hmm. i played a lot growing up and yes but also no Mm -hmm. because i was on 
tennis teams. A lot of the times, if you're going to be a competitive athlete, you're still on a club team. Like mm-hmm. you have your number one player for singles, your number two player for singles, and then you have your top doubles team. And, and you know, the lineup is changing every week. Sometimes people get injured. Sometimes people quit and sometimes people improve and everything's always changing. And you're traveling with your team of six to 10 people and you're driving together on the weekends and you're you're going to have a doubles partner one week and like one week you're number one and like the next week you're number five. And yeah. you're still in a team environment with a coach and you're going to practice together. Like you're still having collaborative relationships with peers, even if on the court it is one person versus one opponent. Yeah. I don't know what child psychologists would say, but I feel like that would be less developmentally destructive even though technically someone might be like well you're still competing on an individual level like no you're still probably part of a team in a way that you wouldn't be as a pageant participant yeah and I think it's like that prong of being able to build relationships is perhaps better on like team sports and stuff I'm sure there's a lot of information about the burden of competing even against yourself being a professional or or like a pre-professional athlete or or being a gymnast and and starting to train when you're six and that's all you do all day. And Mm. I'm sure that that's also incredibly taxing. I just think specifically here when it comes to you're not really competing on what you can do as much as what you look like. Right. And that's so much harder to control. And sure, there's like the dancing portion and whatever, but it there's such a emphasis on the way you look and your sexuality which is not something that you're really in tune with nor should be because you don't really have it because you're a kid (laughs) um versus I can do a handspring better than you can do a handspring and sure that still like affects how you might feel about yourself if you're not winning and all that complicated stuff but like this is just your looks basically yeah and of course that leads to increased like risk of eating disorders and body dysmorphia and depression Mm -hmm. and anxiety and Mm -hmm. obsessive behavior it's just not not what kids should have to be dealing with and one piece of this that I found like extremely problematic is even though we don't have child labor in the United States anymore we do when it comes to entertainment it's kind of bizarre to me that a kid can't work in their like family's bakery or something Mm -hmm. but they can go make millions of dollars in a movie like that feel and like have everybody (laughs) see them and like I'm not saying that we should have kids working but like why is entertainment that is like such a high pressure environment and like so public the one place where like it's fine for kids to work it's fine for them to be the breadwinners I know and and there are so many people who it has clearly taken psychological tolls on. I mean, I know that Britney Spears has been like very, very centered in media recently just with the mm-hmm. conservatorship and all of that. But in, in following that story, you learn how lonely and how many mental health things Britney felt like she was going through and how isolated she felt while being like fucking 16. Yeah. Like she was on Star Search at the age of five. She was her family's breadwinner. Since she was yeah. a kid. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. That and be good allow it entertainment. <laughs> no. And there are a lot of, like, now grown up former Disney child stars who talk about career burnout when you're a child actor. I think Alison Stoner has been pretty yeah. public about this on social media. And I don't think she really acts anymore. Um, I think she yeah. recently produced some mental health related piece of media. But it's about, like literally burning out so young because she started acting when she was like five years old and and i'm happy that there are people who 
have seemingly been able to survive it and still love their career and grow with their career like zendaya Mm -hmm. but there are so many child actors performers that we a either like never see again like drop off the face of the earth Mm -hmm. and i don't know where they are and maybe they were just like i'm not doing this anymore fuck that or as we've witnessed with like tons of people have like lots of mental health struggles and substance abuse and shoplifting or whatever it is like behavior that stems from living your entire life in a fishbowl being criticized all the time Mm -hmm. and so i just find it bizarre that that's like that environment that's already unhealthy like you see adult actors not being able to handle the pressure Mm -hmm. why is this industry the only one that we make an exception for for kids to be a part of just doesn't really make a lot of sense and there's the federal fair labor standards act which sets the conditions for child employment and the federal government doesn't protect children employed in the in artistic capacities it depends on state laws and more than half of the states have laws to protect paid child performers for example from like dangerous stunts or nudity or any sort of sexual scene Mm. and california has the most like stringent regulations um all kids have to apply for work permits and they can't work more than eight hours a day and they have age specific guidelines like if you're under six months old you can't work for more than 20 minutes at a time Mm. if you're less than six months i'm like what do you mean work they're they're they can't (laughs) sit up like (laughs) what well that's why that's why so many like babies are twins you know like yeah yeah. it's the olsen twins or yeah like the sprouse twins i think is that yeah because it's like bang for your buck (laughs) yeah they need they need to film a scene for five hours and they have a baby who can't work for more than 20 minutes so they're like get the twin (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah exactly and there's and like their income is regulated so that they aren't cheated by employers And parents need to be on set at all times. And they have to have like studio teachers that are required for their education, but also for monitoring their emotional state. And I still think it's like a lot of pressure regardless, but at least there are some parameters to protect kids. However, child pageant competitors are not considered to be working. It's a completely like unregulated field, even though it takes a crap load of work investment. The prizes are financial. Like it's estimated that the child pageant circuit is a $5 billion industry and there are over 5,000 pageants held each year and it's entirely unregulated. And like I remember, okay, so I remember I did a work trip one time when I was paid hourly. It was during this internship and I was paid for all of the hours that I was there. It was one night. So I went, I presented for a few hours. I stayed the night at a hotel and then we like flew back the next day. I was paid for all the hours that I was there, if that makes sense, because Mm -hmm. I had to fly out. And like, Mm -hmm. even if my work day ended, they were like, we're taking you away from your normal life or whatever. I don't know if that's standard practice, but it was at this like major, major media company and you know that those kids, like, if they're traveling to pageants, yeah. they're waking up at, like, fucking four in the morning. Yeah. They're spending time being spray tanned. They're spending time getting their hair and makeup done. They're spending time practicing. Their days are so long. Their weeks are so long. Like, that is yeah. definitely more than a full-time job in some cases, at least during, like, the pageant season. Yeah, and it's an entertainment. They are putting on a performance. So why are they not considered mm-hmm. performing children and especially because they win money like that is work like Mm -hmm. there's a financial component it's not like a amateur thing and you just get a trophy and there aren't any laws that like dictate how the pageant should be 
manage. So it just like leaves all this discretion to each individual contest promoter. And so how are we ensuring child welfare in an unregulated and profitable environment? Like those two together (laughs) are breeding ground for dangerous stuff. Bad alchemy. (laughs) Exactly. And like, I don't know. I just feel like they should have the same protections as any other child performer, even which I was shocked because I was like, okay, toddlers and tiaras, that's a TV show. Those kids Mm. were not paid. The parents were not paid. Everyone that is on that show, they just do it for exposure. They are not paid. Are you fucking kidding me? No. They're televised. So, so like, and other random pageants are also televised. So they're clearly entertainers. Like, what is this loophole? (laughs) That's so bizarre because then, like, that also, like, oddly incentivizes... The production of reality TV that's similar to that, where your margin yeah. is going to be better. It's cheap you're not as shit. Paying anybody? Yeah, you're not paying anybody, so you, yeah. you make all the money. Yeah. So, do you think that children can consent to being in child pageants? Like, if you were talking to a five year old and they're like, "This is my dream. I love this. Like, dress me up, put me on stage. This is everything I want to do." Do you think we can, like, knowing what we know about, like, the risks on, like, their physical and mental health and their development, do you think there's, like, a world in which kids can engage in this and it be safe? Like, should it be regulated and therefore it would be better? Or do you think, like, this is just not a practice that we should have? I mean, it's a good question because I think something you and I always talk about is, like, let's say, like, pageants are, like, step five along a certain path. You and I talk often, like, let's let's backtrack. Let's go to step one. Why yeah. are people motivated to, like, have created these in the first place? Yeah. And I just feel like if we were to solve for misogyny and economic <laughs> distress, maybe we wouldn't, like, at step one, right? Maybe step five would disappear because we wouldn't be pushed to a state of, like, needing to exploit our child and daughters for money or exposure or, like, a sense of self. I don't know. Yeah. Like, if we had better mental health counseling for parents... When they were young and they didn't have body dysmorphia, would they need to funnel their dreams onto their child? Not sure. Um, (laughs) But if we are conceding that we live in a world where, you know, most of the variables remain constant and people are having child pageants, then I don't know. I mean, I definitely think that they have to be at least old enough to verbalize to their parents like, hey, I saw this on TV. I want to try it. And I mean, informed at least to a degree that a five-year-old can be informed of the risks. And they try it for a bit and they are constantly reminded, like, whenever you want to stop this, you can stop this. I think that, to me, feels slightly more consensual. Like, if they are the ones who push it, they are the ones who come up with it. It was their idea in the first place. They asked for it. Yeah. They, after two weeks of being given time to think about it, they asked for it. And then they're also constantly reminded, like, and whenever you want to stop, you can stop. Mm. I think that feels more consensual. But I think the, the sticking point for me is, as you say the long-term physiological and like mental damage of like being put through so much stress and having body dysmorphia. Like I think that long-term impact is one of those things where I'm like, maybe not. I think all the time about how I like really wouldn't want my child, should I have one, not sure I want one, but I wouldn't want them to play football because of like how I think damaging it is to the brain Hmm. and how that constant pounding Mm -hmm. on your poor little brain that's floating around in your skull, like it does lead to CTE and like scary stuff. And I'm like, I don't want them to play football, even if they ask me to, like I would veto that. So I don't know, maybe, you know what I mean? Because I think kids can't consent to brain damage. Hmm. So maybe this is kind of the same as like football where it's like, even if they Hmm. ask, maybe still no. What do you think? Yeah, I think consent when it comes to children 
is so complicated because when I hear the word consent, my first thought is always around sex. But in general, consent is it's present everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, We consent to things and don't consent to things in every area of life. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to kids, it's like because I think that a kid should be able to say, like, Mom, I want to join the soccer team. Mm -hmm. I don't think they have to wait until they're 18 to, like, have a hobby, you know, Mm -hmm. like if you're like. (laughs) you're not having any paintbrushes, okay? Because you can't consent to if you really want to paint. Like, so <laughs> I think kids should foster their interests. But where is there like an information gap of like, can a kid understand that if they play football now, down the line, they could have some real physical health issues? Mm-hmm. Can a kid like really internalize that and comprehend that and make an educated decision? Can a kid at three years old say I want to join a beauty pageant and you say like but what if you develop an eating disorder and they're Mm -hmm. like what the hell is an eating disorder like (laughs) yeah like yeah how much information does someone have to have and like know that they're understanding it for them to make a decision like it's so delicate and I think maybe if there were regulations around child pageants like the same way that on a set there has to be a parent and like a teacher and that and all that stuff like maybe if at child pageants there had to be like a third party that's not the parent that's kind of monitoring the emotional state of kids and they're like therapists Mm -hmm. they're licensed therapists or social workers or someone that can kind of de-escalate things and check in with kids and be like a safe consultant almost for the kids or or like how we Mm -hmm. have talked about intimacy coordinators on sets now and like maybe you even as an adult woman if you're on a set and you're feeling uncomfortable maybe you don't want to tell your director and like upend a production whatever and so if you have a third party that's not connected that's not hired by the same person maybe it would be like a safer environment for kids to be more monitored and maybe if it was more inclusive and maybe if there was less focus on like you could still put on a cool outfit that makes you feel fun but maybe there isn't the encouragement of winking at the judges or whatever like oh god I think there may be ways to make it more fun like when I was a little kid I loved to play dress up in my room and with my friends and with my siblings Mm -hmm. and my cousins and like run out and show my parents my cool little outfit Mm -hmm. and I don't think that that has had any like (laughs) deep-seated trauma for me and so if we can mimic that energy a little more yeah like look at my fun like big flowy skirt rather than look at my bikini and like focusing more on the the skills part of it and maybe having like pageant troops or something like Mm. all these little girls compete together or something like that I don't know like some way that there's not getting it's not inhibiting their ability to make friends and right. maybe we let them have their baby teeth and maybe we don't put so much makeup on them. <laughs> or if we're going right. to put makeup, it's like also when I was a kid and I played with makeup, it looked insane. Like, like just like blue eyeshadow that's just like all over my face. Yeah, like let the kid put makeup on herself <laughs> yeah. and like see her own self-expression. I hear you. Yeah. And I and I agree or how that it was like super fun when you were little and there was a birthday party and they had like face paint people that would like make you into oh my a God. butterfly like maybe something oh my like God. that rather than like here is your foundation and your highlighter and whatever and it's like i'm sorry what is a cheekbone like excuse <laughs> me <laughs> they're like painting abs onto themselves with bronzers like bronzer it's insane no i think um i definitely think there are ways in which it could be better because right now it's just an absolute dumpster fire but i also think that kind of like how we talked about with greek life if it is an inherently corrupt institution or practice mm-hmm. born out of social ills right mm-hmm. like this is fundamentally to me misogynistic yeah and 
yeah exploitative and like due mm-hmm. to economic distress and misogyny yeah then i don't think that like dressing it up or making it slightly less bad is ultimately gonna ever get it to a healthy place like mm-hmm. i'm kind of of the burn it down mindset with this mm-hmm. i do think that with respect to child consent in general your point about like how informed can someone be at a young age about a long-term level of risk is an important consideration because wanting to play soccer wanting to go on a play date wanting to do a nature walk all of those things like fuck yeah dude like let's go Mm -hmm. definitely i think child consent there is possible but i i just agree that like if there is a high severity of risk Mm. like i think there's some mix of like if there is a certain level of severity of risk and a certain level of probability of risk Mm -hmm. if we like pass a threshold Mm -hmm. then no i don't think consent is possible because yeah you can't possibly know what you're getting yourself into and how long you'll be affected at a young age i actually recently saw my little cousin demonstrate consent so well i was absolutely floored she's eight years old and my mom was calling her like baby doll or something she's like hi baby doll and Bryn was like Bryn is my cousin was like i love when you call me that and my mom was like promise me you'll always love when i call you that and Bryn was like I can't promise that. I don't know if I'll like it tomorrow or next or the next month. And I was like, <gasps> oh, my fuck God, yeah, Bryn. But I was just like, OK, she's eight. Like, she's a little bit older. But it's true. Like, you can't at five, like, know if you consent to CTE for the next 55 yeah. years. Like, you don't know yeah. that. You can't know yeah. that. A hundred percent. I think what's difficult for me when I think about should we just abolish something <laughs> is that I'm with you. Like, I don't really see the redeeming arc. However, I didn't grow up in a town in South Carolina where this was like really important culturally or something like it's so outside of my realm of what I'm comfortable around. And I don't know if it's a little bit of a elitist looking down on it kind of element to it of of me thinking like, yeah, get rid of this weird situation. Because I think my concern is I think we often see when we try to abolish something, we just like push it underground. And what if there were like these weird underground child pageant rings or something? You oh, know? yeah. A hundred percent. No, like we talked about with sex work, like you're not going to just, yeah. you're not going to just criminalize it without also supporting loan forgiveness. Like if, if people are still in mountains of medical and student debt, then they're still going to turn to some way to make money to pay that off, whether it's legal or not. So I agree yeah. that abolishing it is not the move and not what I meant by burn it down. (laughs) I meant more like the take it a few steps back approach of like, let's just, instead of thinking about child pageants and like regulating them, because I don't think that's where our focus should go. Like instead of criminalizing sex work or criminalizing advertising of sex work, instead Mm -hmm. of regulating how long a child can participate in a pageant, like focus on loan forgiveness, focus focus on universal pre-K, focus on funding arts programs at schools, focus on getting people out of economic distress, focus on Mm -hmm. like solving for misogyny, focus on all of those things that are causing these like weird tentacles, not just pageants, but like lots of things that are cropping up that are just evidence of our social ills. I think like focus on solving for that like 10 steps back and then presumably we'll have new culturally important fixtures and phenomena and practices yeah. that will transition to. Does that make sense? It totally does. And I'm definitely with you on that, like a top down approach. But ugh, it's so hard because solving for misogyny, like there's no easy or efficient or quick way to do that. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime... There are all these systems that are really harmful. So how do we do 
a little bit of both. Like, mm-hmm. I do think that if we're, I do think that it's a good thing that child actors have these protections. Right. And I think if that could be extended to the pageant that's happening tomorrow, right. that would be better than nothing. Right. And at the same time, thinking of the overarching, like, how can we correct these things is just like so enormous of a feat that I, I'm concerned for the collateral damage of people who are currently experiencing like in the meantime no i think that's a good yeah. point like but it's like limited time limited resources what do you do where do you put <laughs> things it's like someone's starving in front of me i should just feed them instead of you know lobbying for 10 years yes. about things and it's really difficult because because ideally yeah it would be a both and yeah ideally it would be a let's you know have ideally we wouldn't boys. be here <laughs> yeah <laughs> ideally like cons- the language of consent would be taught when kids are in pre-k about things like if you don't want someone to call you baby doll you can tell them that and yeah if someone tells you not to call them baby doll respect that like th- those kinds of things not just like talking about sexual intercourse in toddler education that's obviously not what we mean when we're talking about language of consent from a young age mm-hmm. but ideally we could do that and ideally we could have everyone in therapy or mental health counseling or mental health programs at a younger age including boys and having them have emotional outlets that is not violence and anger ideally yeah. like we would be able to be doing all of those things and having universal pre-k and forgiving loans and expanding food stamp coverage <laughs> at the same time that we regulate pageants why they still exist yeah but like you said yeah like i really don't know that's where i feel stuck is so with our limited time and resources where do we start like that that is the question that gets me every time i know it's so exhausting and so there's no blueprint which is the frustrating thing it's like you just correct as you go mm-hmm. and trial and error and maybe every parent that puts their kid in a pageant is fully aware has like been told this could lead to x y and z and they either don't care or don't really believe that that's true like honey boo boo's mom being like they say i'm doping my kid but i'm not like you just because somebody (laughs) has information doesn't mean that they're gonna interpret it the way you're trying to get them to interpret it Mm -hmm. so you could teach like a class to all the pageant moms like hey, actually this thing that you're doing because you think it's fun for your kid could lead to all this other stuff. What if we just put them in art class? Like maybe that wouldn't have this aha moment of everyone being like, right, right. (laughs) Okay, never mind. Right. And also, sure, there are some families that are going into debt and it's this like class issue, but I'm sure there are also plenty of wealthy families that also put their kids in pageants, you know? And so Mm -hmm. then correcting for class issues doesn't necessarily dissuade the wealthy woman who wants to put their mm-hmm. little princess in a pageant and so all these intersectional Do we know what issues, percentage of participants are like what the breakout of socioeconomic class i don't know is. let me see if that's like quickly googleable because i know that like one of the things my brother has been talking about is how exploitative football is and how the positions that are like most susceptible to serious long-term injury, including brain injury, are often occupied by men of color. And how oftentimes yeah. getting out or breaking the cycle of poverty, yeah. like sports can be a kind of reliable way to do that. Mm-hmm. And we're just like refusing to take care of the people who are very obviously being exploited and they're using this to break the cycle of poverty. And it's just like, it's just like not protected in a way that it should be. Obviously, there are also wealthy participants in football, but I, I'm curious just like what the breakout is in the pageant world. I'm not finding like instant information, but if I do find it later on, I'll put it in the show notes. Yes. But I am also curious about that. I wonder like what's the racial breakdown and what's the mm-hmm. socioeconomic breakdown 
What's the education breakdown? Are there like pageants for boys? Not that I know of. I don't know. I've never seen a boy pageant. And every pageant thing that I was reading about, like I would just look up child pageant and it only spoke about girls. Girls. So I don't know if there are some like fringe boy ones or something. (laughs) I just wonder about too, like the psychological effects on people whose gender is like reinforced at them and like performed onto them so constantly from the age before they're even aware like i just wonder about i'm not sure how many female to male trans men who have participated in child pageants where they were performing like girlhood exist i don't know but i think about how like how fucked up that is too where you're just like being constantly valued on a gender that isn't yours yeah i think that's a piece that really makes me uncomfortable about the child pageants is that it's so heavily gendered Mm -hmm. that even for cis girls it's still really like pigeonholing you and like very narrow Mm -hmm. like it it's not a very complex expression of gender and there's not a lot of room for freedom or expression or variety it's very cookie cutter very like the most extreme version of gender Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just like weirdly kind of dystopian. And I think because it's so culturally different from anything I've experienced that looking at this, it's so disorienting for me. Like if I had dressed up this way or or done my makeup this way and gotten a spray, I mean, how would I do this without my parents noticing, but (laughs) lay out the scenario. Like if I had dentures and like did my hair all big or whatever and came out of my room to my parents, I think they would have lost their mind. Like what the hell is happening? And so it's just like such a cultural divide for me that it's a little bit difficult for me to empathize with like, why is this something Mm -hmm. that you want to put your kid through like why does this look like a good idea and why doesn't this creep you out i know know if i'm being judgy but i don't know no no it's it's just so outside of my brain for me yeah i think there is definitely room for people's opinions to change over time i'm sure there are a lot of like pageant parents who look back and are like you know what that wasn't the best decision and like we made this decision at the time because certain external factors in our life kind of led us there and now knowing what we know now and evolving as we have we would do it differently if we could do it all again yeah Um, i think that's why i land more on the maybe just include them in the current regulations like maybe it's not my place because it's not my culture and it's not my community but whatever anyway i i just feel like maybe first step at least protect these kids a little bit like let's have their welfare more in mind just include them in this regulation yeah and if you're like fucking filming them like at least like pay them and have their money like go into a safe or trust that is theirs like you know like i don't know how it's not i I was shocked that the toddlers and tiara's kids don't see any money and i don't even know how it works if like something is filmed somewhere but televised somewhere else Mm -hmm. like california having these strict laws do they say like, I'm not going to play toddlers and tiaras in California? You know, like, how does oh, that work to me? Like, I'm, sh- I'm sure that it is televised. It, it, so it, how it, does, is sure. it just like you can't make it here or is it is it film? I don't know. I don't know. But, but then, yeah, because then if they're playing it on everyone's like fucking cable TLC channel and yeah. people are watching it and you have a ton of eyeballs on it, that's going to necessarily bring you in a ton of ad dollars. Yeah. And so you're profiting off of the California viewership despite their laws being discrepant with how you filmed the show. Yeah. It's brutal. It is weird, too, that, like, the laws are set state by state, and so there isn't really, like, a federal... (sighs) 
child protection like it really it really (laughs) i get it like it makes sense for like agricultural shit and like things that are very culturally and regionally specific but i've always wondered that i've always always wondered like aren't there some laws that like really fundamentally don't need to be state by state like how we treat (laughs) children in the workplace (laughs) we can all get on the same page yeah well i learned a lot and I left with uh, more questions than answers. <laughs> Look, you're my resident like public policy expert friend, so I defer to you. And if the answer is we still don't know, then I think that's the answer. Is like we just don't know. Maybe I'll bring it up in class. Hey, we... <laughs> have you heard of toddlers and tiaras? <laughs> yeah, I have a question. Um, who's regulating the child pageants? Yes, the real questions. <laughs> Oh my god. Being a girl is hard enough. Don't make it worse. Okay? Exactly. Effin. <laughs> hey, lovely listeners. This is Elisa and Audra popping in to say thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the first season of Culture Calendar. We're so glad you're here, and we just wanted to let you know that we will be taking a few weeks off as we gear up to release season two. In the meantime, keep your eye out for a very special bonus episode in the next few weeks. And we hope you have a wonderful end of 2022. We'll see you in the new year. Culture Calendar is produced by Elisa Nolasco and Audra Fitzgerald. Show art by Angela Cho and music by Santiago Hervella. Research for each episode is conducted independently and is for entertainment purposes only. Information shared in the show reflects the best we know at this moment in time, and there is always more to learn.